Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. All right, welcome back to the Detroit Is Different podcast studios. And I have in-house... So overusing like somebody that should have been here, but really, seriously, this woman should have been here a long time ago. It's a movement, it's a brand, but also someone that is really the foundation of a whole lot of what I do. Uh, people always say, Car, you're doing stuff for the community. Car, you're doing something that's good for the people. Car, you're connecting things for people that don't have things. And I look at that and say, I really like some podcasts and I like tech and I'm letting some people in on some of the stuff I like. This woman actually is doing what some of the people will say I'm always doing. Mama Shu, Mama Shamayin, how are you doing? I am doing just great. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All is well with you. Oh, everything is everything, you know, through all of it. You know, the the myriad of emotions, as they say, the Mm -hmm. ups, the downs, the all arounds. I know I'm living. You know, and that right there, I think, is the essence of life is, yes. you know, you connect with so much of that essence. And naturally, it, it connects us to speak. We're going to talk about Avalon Village for everybody on here. And I know you all want to get straight to that. But <laughs> we go in Detroit is different style. And yes. we start with your family story. Who was the first person in your family to make their way to the Detroit area? I believe it was my grandfather. Okay. My grandfather, which is my mother's uh, father. He's mm. an ancestor. Mm-hmm. And uh, they came from down south, Alabama, Mississippi area. I don't okay. know exactly where. Okay. And so um, they were uh, over there by where Chrysler and Werner, they lived over there in that area. And they grew mm. up over there. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom, uh, they lived in Detroit. Okay. They lived in Detroit, North End area. Mm. Yeah, that's where they that's where they so lived that, in North End that area. That whole footprint of the North End. Mm-hmm. So when they made their ways here, you don't remember Alabama or whether Mississippi, but you know it's the Southern Belt. Yes. So you must have had one of those grandfathers that's like, I left and I ain't going back. Yes, that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Look, didn't even hardly talk about that part, actually. <laughs> I'm sitting so like, like, hey, mm. granddaddy, uh, what was A? <laughs> <laughs> right but yeah it was like that and so that and, mm-hmm. and that's what and then my mother they were they lived in Detroit most of their lives I um, grew up on the east side of Detroit uh, Field Street actually between mm. Palmer and Medbury okay went to Rose Elementary School mm. okay. which is on um, what is that Van Dyke yeah right at Palmer so so within this in, in this era, you know, we're not going to age set so much, but <laughs> many things have shifted. Uh, yes. But that Detroit, I'm going to say like that feel, I'm going to just say that 70s, 80s area era was unique. But let's talk a little bit more in even to your mom and your father's story of what their stories were. Your your father, how did he make his way to the city? My father uh, made it. They came from North Carolina. Oh, so you know that one. Yeah. They came okay. from North Carolina. His mother, his uh, his father did. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother, she didn't go. She was from Detroit. Mm, so, mm-hmm. so she had she roots was, back. Yes, she was from Detroit. So she looked at the rest of your family like, look at these country, <laughs> look at these country people. 
asking when the Georgia pecans taste good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so that was that side. Okay. Yeah. And so they lived, and he also um, grew up on uh, Pennsylvania Street between Shalavoy and Gothi. Mm. And okay. that's where he owns a house right now, actually, wow. still over there. Okay, that whole footprint. So now I really want to get into that one <laughs> grandmother that was here even before. Mm -hmm. Do you remember do you remember stories about her? The grandmother, which that, one? The one that was here already in the Detroit area. So your so I guess that would have been your father's mother. My father's mother. Um, no, except for when I was a child, I would go over there and spend the night all mm -hmm. of my, you know, every weekend mm -hmm. um, over there in the two-family flat uh, that they owned. Okay. Uh, we had a neighbor upstairs. Her name was um, Ada and her two boys. Mm -hmm. And we would play with them when we would go over there um, on the weekend. So I don't really know. A lot like, of those stories, yeah, per se. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I know uh, grandparents mm -hmm. or great-grandparents. Now, I did know my uh, great-grandmother, uh, my mother's grandmother okay and we lived together for um a wow. while with my grandmother and my mother we all stayed on field street together hmm. uh in a home yep what was that like? and she died she died in uh like 81 or 82 hmm. and uh she was quiet her name was janie she was quiet um and she was elderly at that time okay you know so it wasn't a lot of conversation but we uh my uh, grandmother and my grandfather took care of her hmm. until she died Elder care then. Yep. Okay. Okay. So we're we're speaking of that parents. Uh, where did they work at? What was their lifestyle? What do you remember about your parents when you were a kid? <laughs> so I remember that my dad, uh, he was in the army. Hmm. He was in the army. This is like early stories of like him and my mom together. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mother, she uh, used to work at um, a bank. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was earlier on. Then she worked at, this place doesn't exist anymore. It's uh, called uh, Rehabilitation Institute. Mm -hmm. And she was like a medical transcriber. That was like her job. And uh, she loved giving uh, parties and cabarets, too, with her best friend. So they did that to make money, too. It was called the B&C Social Sociables. One second. The B&C Sociables. <laughs> yes. and, and, and we're definitely <laughs> going to unpack that. You know, my parents met at what I've learned was a cola party. Now, I often tell people this. So it's like a cost of living adjustment party. Oh. So oftentimes, because uh, this was just so entrenched in the culture of Detroit, people knew when you would get a raise working at, you know, the big four at one point in time or the big three. So when people had an extra raise, it's like, we're going to throw a rent party. We're going we gonna to do something over here. Like some of the old school basements, if mm -hmm. you ever buy a Detroit house, yeah. it'll be like a bar and like disco furniture and you like who mm -hmm. was doing a nightclub in here and it's like everybody yep. depending upon it the old school like the red light the house with the red light porch light yep that's <laughs> the place to be so that was something <laughs> that okay do you remember anything about those parties i do remember those parties oh, because man. we yeah we had those parties okay we had those parties and i remember the grown-ups having those parties too for okay. those specific reasons mm. you know and playing cards okay and just having a good time. I remember, um, what is it? The uh, what was the name of the liquor? Uh, <laughs> look, Canadian, Canadian. Mm -hmm. It was whiskey. Okay. That um, that being on the table and the neighbors being around playing cards and everything. It was just so so beautiful uh, to me back then. Looking at them socialize and have a good time. Um, no issues and everything. Mm -hmm. It was just a good uh, a, a good thing. I was really a neighborhood girl. I, I do have this question about that. Because, you know me, I love music. What was the music situation 
at those parties? Who was the DJ? Who was controlling the needle? What What was that like? So I'm going to tell you this. My mother. My mother loved <laughs> records. She had so much vinyl. She had the record player. We'd be in the den. She would play the, her um, albums. We loved Barry White. Okay. Uh, all of that. Earth, Wind, and Fire. These mm. are the things that my mom would play over and over Stevie Wonder. Mm. She loved music so much. So she would be the one. And my grandfather, he, um, well, he worked at the plant for like 40 years, Chrysler. Mm -hmm. so, and my grandmother, which is my mother's mother, she didn't work. I never saw her uh, work. Mm. She stayed at the house. And she made breakfast for him when he got up at 4 o'clock in the morning and gave him buttermilk. And, you know, this is what, Oof. yeah, that was just the Oof. in the morning and 4 o'clock he'd go. And it was just like every day. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I remember those. Uh, so those, your mom rocked the needle. She was mom, the DJ. My mom, she rocked the needle. She's the one that, my mom was like the sociable one. As far as like having parties and getting everybody together and let's go to Cedar mm. Point and let's go bowling and and, and even on um, holidays we'd all pile in like three cabs and we would go down to the Adams Theater mm. and we were all dressed up in our Easter stuff with wow. cute socks on and so all of us is all dressed up and we go in there we get popcorn and so we go in there and look at Blackula. <laughs> or whatever we're showing. <laughs> yeah, Mama karate movies. Yeah, yes. Mama Walden. Uh, Bruce Lee, uh, all of that. That's what. So, uh, you know, me and music still so much because that means your mom had to be the cool mom, too, because you're speaking of a 70s experience. So, playing Barry White and Earth, Wind, and Fire, some parents, I'm sure, were like, I'm not listening to that. They were playing like, you know, we're going we gonna to stick to what we really grew up on. So, they probably had like Nat King Cole and. <laughs> Let's see, what else would they be holding on to? Like, Nat, what they grew up with, you know, uh, Nat King Cole. Uh, I'm guessing you go over your other friends' houses. They were listening to, like, um, no, like uh, uh, what's her name? Dion uh, Warwick, which was mm -hmm. contemporary at the time, but mm -hmm. she was making music yeah. like a Dinah Washington or, a, you know, those singers, a Sarah Vaughn, mm -hmm. of that, that feel. But your mom was like, nah, it's new. I'm buying it. Yeah, she was. She was, and she liked those. Uh, the old school yes, stuff, too. Yes, but my mom liked Michael. She liked the Jackson 5. Oh, I went man. My very first concert, I went to go see the Jackson 5. Time my out. Mom, we, we telling that story. My mom took me. We're telling that story. Yep, I never forget. It was such a cool experience. Me, okay, so remember I told you about the B&C Sociables? Her yes. friend, her best friend um, was named Barbara, and mm -hmm. they had the cabarets together where she had two sons. B&C. B&C. Barbara yeah. and Christine is her name. <laughs> and uh, they would have these parties. And so anyway, we met, they had two sons. So it was two mm -hmm. sons, two daughters, and we did stuff together as you know, with the, with with us. So it was the four mm -hmm. kids and it was them. And so we all went to the concert together. Okay, now we got to talk about this because I think Michael, you know, performed at such a high clip. Mm -hmm. But obviously the full Jackson 5 too, as I'm, I'm, I'm one of the few people that is, I don't necessarily know if I want to say I'm a Jermaine Jackson fan, but I definitely like some Jermaine Jackson music, you know. Yes. You know, the do what you did, what you did, what you did to me. Is, is in my YouTube <laughs> collection. But what was it like seeing the Jackson 5? Because I think of first ex first concert experiences, my first concert is still in that arc. As it, My mom had some tickets at Pine Knob because my dad loves James Brown, mm -hmm. being from Cincinnati. And my mom isn't even, she likes James Brown, but this is the arc of like, you know, if you're a more distinguished northern black person, you probably like more Motown. Mm -hmm. The Southern black folks like James Brown, Bobby Bland, like just the the gritty, you know, that stuff. So we went to Pine Knob to see James Brown as the first concert. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking like, my dad's music, like I'm gonna go see this. 
it was the most phenomenal experience I think that I ever could have seen. What was Jackson Five like as a first? And that's like when there, it was Michael in the mix. Yes, and we were yes, and we were we were just we were little, and I mean not little, we were just young doing it. Mm -hmm. But what I really liked about it is that my mother took us to a concert to uh -huh. actually like doing this thing. I mean, uh -huh. um, it she she exposed us to a lot of things, uh -huh. you know. Um, Took us to Toronto, first concert. That that stuff was important to her. Huh. But uh, I loved it. It was just all glitzy from what I can remember. God, I didn't know you were going to have me to recall that. Let me see what I was. <laughs> it was a good time, though. Mm -hmm. It was a good time. Um, it was a good experience. Okay. So let's, let's carry on a little bit yeah. more into your story. So you mentioned elementary school, high school. Where were you at? So uh, high school, my first two years of high school, I went to Henry Ford High School. Okay. I did the ninth and the 10th grade. That's deep west. That's it was. a whole nother and world. And actually two years before that, I went to Emerson Middle School for the eighth grade. Mm. The sixth and seventh grade, I went to, um, it was called Holy Name of Jesus. It was a Catholic school. Oh, so man. I went there then the eighth grade I'm, because I moved uh, that far west um, mm -hmm. just for four years. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, I went to Henry Ford for the ninth and 10th, and mm -hmm. then we moved back to the east side. Okay. And then I came back and um, moved back on field and then enrolled in Kettering High School. And then I graduated from Kettering. So you walked into Kettering and your people were like, hey, where you been? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, 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 and the thing about it is, actually, some of them did only the neighborhood, um, the neighborhood uh, people kids, did because yeah. I went that eighth grade year. I didn't mm -hmm. go to Barber like some of the other yeah. kids I went to, I just was over there on the west side. Okay. So, you know, I just felt it, a little bit, not like I was an outsider, but I did feel that way a little bit because okay. I didn't have the junior high experience um, with them. I went to Catholic school, and then I went that eighth grade at Emerson uh, Junior High and then went to um, uh, the Henry Ford. So mm. um, I had to, and then I had to develop uh, new friends when I got in the 11th grade. So a lot of the east side... Um, the East Side people. Uh, uh, connections and friendships mm -hmm. and everything. They started around that time, around okay. the 11th grade. Besides neighborhood, I'm talking about like school-wise, was 11th grade. Okay. So this definitely leads me to ask this question, as I know he's in that footprint and one of my big homies. was Dao, How far was Dao Muhammad in his Kettering journey when you were at KE? So they were before me. I they were a few years before me. I figured that. Yep. Uh -huh. so, okay, so they're like so, my big brothers and okay. sisters. Yeah. Okay. So, but so you don't really remember him? No. Okay. I didn't know them. Okay. At you that time, nope. I learned didn't. later at a learned later. Like what? Y'all went to K? Went to K? <laughs> that big old giant blue K? Yes, that's us. <laughs> yes, K E. Yeah. And let me say this: <laughs> of the of the schools that no longer exist, uh, when it comes to the 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 alumni picnics experience and I am a Northwest I'm the Northwestern president okay. but I'm gonna tell you something it's two it's two high schools that have a neighborhood picnic that'll blow you away one is McKenzie and the other is your school that's right if you go if that's if right. you're around that whole 90 like okay if it's the Kettering all alumni picnic and you happen to think that I'm going to get off the Van Dyke exit <laughs> of 94 you will be like what in the world man is going on right now and all it'll be picnics they party oh yeah Kettering I'm telling you it's just and and if I was to pick the experience 
that meant the most to me as it relates to high school and mm -hmm. the friends developed, it would be Kettering and the ones that I still have right now that are just still intact, you know, <laughs> 30 years, 40s plus, uh -huh. uh, it would be the ones that I developed um, at, Ke at Kettering High School. And yes, I do attend the alumni events. <laughs> uh, we go to They Say because our boy Terry Payne, you know, we go, I mean, it's just like, that's what we do, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of like, Let's go eat some chicken or whatever from They Say. And, yeah. and we always make a joke. We ain't going nowhere except for They Say because that's our boy's <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> you know we going to support him, but it, it's a lot of fun. Then we all just meet up there, but mm -hmm. most of our events and everything are centered around, um, uh, they say, and also, like you said, around that uh, area. You know, it was just, yeah, it was oh, beautiful. I mean, it's a it's a different, I mean, being in this, and, and shout out to DPSCD for looking to gather this. It'll be like an all-alumni DPS pick uh event coming up soon tyrone winfrey is working on that and then my homie joy uh joy is putting a little bit of that together but it's just different fields culturally like so it's like a couple in, in northwestern we we cover a heck of a footprint but i've bumped into the mckenzie and kettering and i've been to some some stuff for cooley mm -hmm. so for people that's like oh you ain't seen cool i've seen cooley redford murray Wright. i've i've been i've i've touched it all and i'm telling you if you can spend Really, you may need to block out about four hours to go to the Kettering. Uh, sure do. You may need about four Ooh. hours. And come with an empty stomach, you know, and and come already with, like, an empty red cup because you're going to have to <laughs> act like, hey, I already had enough. Because yep. it, we do it, it big. <laughs> and be ready to play some horseshoes, some uh, dance the music. Uh, you don't want to get out there and no hustle. Come. The Kettering. All alumni picnic is something. Mm -hmm. It's a cultural experience. It is. Uh, so moving from there, after KE, what, what were, where were you at in your journey? So after KE, I um, was on the east side, and I started uh, working my very first. I went to um, Wayne County Community College. WC stayed Curry. there for, you know, maybe uh, a year, year mm -hmm. and a half. And uh, worked at that Elias Brothers that was right there on Jefferson. Wow, and you went, you were at the Belle Isle Big Boy. Yes, I was. Okay, and so that I means you it. saw. First off, that means that you probably have many Tommy Hearns stories. Because <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Hearns was a fixture at that Big Boy. <laughs> yeah, my dad almost got into an altercation with Tommy Hearns wow. one time there. I mean, it was jokingly because my dad was debating. He used to play in the Belle Isle Racquetball Club, and he was debating. And he was like, "Man, but he just never gonna be Sugar Ray." And he said it so loud, and Tommy just like almost walked in, and Tommy just walked up, looked at him, tapped him on the chin or something. It, the classic stories, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It it, it it just so we stopping there too because okay. that's a so for people that don't know at one point in time the big boys or the Elias brothers that it's it's still a spot a restaurant I can't believe it's not a restaurant right there you get off Belle Isle and it it was right there it like almost like that big boy seemed to be almost like an extension of Belle Isle kind of mm -hmm. so I remember when my mom. When, when I told you about, like, when it was Easter and different holidays, we'd hop in the cab. Yeah. Well, we'd go to Big Boys uh -huh. to go and go eat first. And okay. then we'd hop back in the cab, <laughs> and then we would go down to the movies. My mother did all of Yeah, she would just take just uh -huh. all of, I mean, seven cousins. It was, like, almost 15 of us. So sometimes we had to get two cabs, and we would pop. But that was the Big Boy that we started, um, uh, that we went to. And so that mm -hmm. was one of my first jobs uh, that I ever had was What's actually up? working at Big Boy. And then uh, I started working for uh, Detroit Public Schools. Mm. And so, um, and that was in uh, 1985. Okay. And I did uh, 
all throughout the whole school system, 27 years altogether mm. um, with uh, the sh uh, continue working with uh, Aisha Shule, W.B. Du Bois Academy. So all together, 27. But I started at um, Osborne High School, the working board. there for, mm -hmm, for two, two years state. there. Mm -hmm. I did seven years at King High School. Oh, KC. Yes, I loved okay. it there. You basically stayed in that like little footprint almost. Yeah. Well, Osborne took you a little bit out the yeah. way, but it, you kind of stayed in that whole corridor. Okay. Yep. And I did actually worked at Hampton Elementary School um, okay. as well. Did one year there. And mm -hmm. uh, another school was Arts and Academics Academy. Okay. So those was the schools that I uh, went to and then uh, ended up working, um, you know, being at the Shule and then working with Aisha Shule and then um, the prep school. And that's exactly when they went chartered. So I okay. decided like, okay, I'm going over to the family business and, you know. Connected. Yep. What, what made you... What what connected you to say okay let me let me get throw my hat in the ring with DPS was it just one of those things like eh, I want to get a better job was it something like in you that led you in that path what what was it Well um, I know one thing about my uh, mother uh, she used to say you need to make sure that you know how to type you can always get you a clerical job you can always be an administrator or an assistant this is just you know. Some people were just taught that, that mm. you make sure that you have just some other skills that you know that you can get a job. So my mom felt okay. that that's what it was like. Okay. And so getting a job at the public schools was a real cool thing because you got benefits and all of that. So it was it was kind of cool being able to, um, you know, just be in, employed there and, mm. you know, get the insurance. And, you know, this yeah. is what that was about. So you it know, was more so like this is something that's safe, secure, and I can be here. That is, it started like that. Yes, it started like that, and also to uh, work with children and just be there. So that's when my experiences uh, was, you know, working with uh, children and and all of that. You know, just and and then that's that's different. Because and I did you different so... jobs there too. Okay, so you was, you did payroll. I was an administrator. Mm -hmm. It was just different things and learned. Just those in, levels. In that process. So, yeah. And they looking at you like, you look like you my age. <laughs> yeah. The kids <laughs> yeah. And that's actually I was. It was like a couple of uh maybe we were like a couple of years apart at that mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah. So. From from the se a senior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, just maybe a, seriously like a year older or two. Uh, and that's it. So yeah, that was coming interesting. Up to you like, give me a hall pass. Basically. Like, I work here. <laughs> or can I have your number? No, sir, you can't. <laughs> No, no, young man, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. Let me get your number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, it was interesting. So, so this and this journey, and it's funny, you know, you know somebody for so long. Shule, you end up at Aisha Shule. Mm -hmm. Aisha Shule. We've spoke about this on this podcast before, but I'm introducing it if someone's just watching now. African centered school, uh, founded by Mommy Imani Humphrey. Uh, Baba Kenfense has said, like, Mama Annie Moy had a whole lot to do this. Mm -hmm. Mama Malkia had a lot to do this. And it was like a community of people in, in, in a thought process, but an institution. What led you in to say, okay, as they're onboarding more with these processes, chartering and dealing with the structure of it all a whole lot more. And you, now you have, like, at that point, you'd have had years of experience dealing with the structure, the mm -hmm. machine of it all. Mm -hmm. What led you to say, okay, I, I gotta, I, I gotta get over here to make sure we're good. So, um, actually, what happened is, is that I met her son, uh -huh. and so, it, and my daughter 
Aziza was a little girl. She was maybe like uh, two years old or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, we came and he said, well, you know, my mom has a school and this and that. And so Aziza enrolled. Mm -hmm. And so basically, um, and I was working at King High School at the time. And so she was actually, she started going to school there. Mm -hmm. And so then, like I said, later on, um, as I was still working at King and with Detroit Public Schools, when they had the charter school, started the charter school, I said I wanted to come and then needed to help to build with the skills that I had already working in high schools. So it made it, it was just an easy uh, thing mm -hmm. to do. It was just an easy transition. So, mm -hmm. but I knew that I, I, I liked being there because it was liberating uh, the minds of our people, our children, um, the cultural value that it would add and I wanted to help to build and be a part of that. What was the difference? Because you 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 onboarded with uh, a skill set of knowing kind of how I guess traditional schools were mm -hmm. run, and now you enter the space of the African Center School. What was the difference? Uh, for me, um, it was the difference uh, that that the whole child was being nurtured. Uh, we were learning about ourselves and and. When I was in school, we didn't learn about, you know, it was certain black folks that you learned about, you know, just the, the mm. regular and not even taking anything away from yeah. those folks. But it wasn't like that. It wasn't intense like that. Although I did have uh, uh, experience with inner city subcenter hmm. with Paul Taylor. I grew up with all of them, Marvis Cofield and them. So I had exposure uh, to that when I was 14 years old. To African but it, Center education. Yes. And, mm -hmm. all, and, and just that whole... Um, about us. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but it wasn't cultivated. Mm -hmm. It wasn't cultivated, but I remember that as it wasn't cultivated in any other area besides where I went to actually receive that. And it was mm -hmm. down there with uh, those brothers and sisters down there was a place that I know that I can actually um, get that knowledge, wisdom and understanding. And I was all in. And so then um, when Mr. Cofield actually came and worked at, um, uh, Kettering High School when I was in the 11th or 12th grade teaching mm -hmm. martial arts. Mm -hmm. And so that was so cool to connect again, you know, uh, with those uh, teachings and that uh, upbringing and just have it to be um, reignited. And so um, working at the Shule and, and, and being coming into that uh, family, it was uh, more intense. It was just almost like each time it just got to another level. And so it was, it was just, it was just different. Just the, it was more uh, family-like there, you know, sometimes in the bigger institutions or the traditional ones, um, familyhood, learning how to uh, prosper and everything, you know, just all of that wasn't there. You, you know, the Shule gave you a base of where you uh, came from, you know, uh, a foundation. Um, and so that's, for me, that wasn't built in, uh, the high schools and I didn't see it. It just wasn't, you know, hmm. uh, in everyday school life. Hmm. So you speak of this not necessarily being in where you transition from and then seeing a different way. Uh, it, it broke a lot of hearts and minds after people said, man, why is the shoelace closing? Why is the shoelace closing? But as many people said, the shoelace closing, which no, things have reasons and seasons. It was a lot of support that was given almost after the fact. And right now, this movement around, you know, making sure an African center school arise again and, and exist here, especially in this city. What was it like beforehand? 
because just knowing Mama Hasina, and that's another interview, Mama Hasina, I know you're watching this. <laughs> I want you to be here as well. I want you to tell your Detroit is different story as well as a creative, uh, a visionary, and someone that um, I have more respect for your mom's work, and, and I, I can't tell you enough, but even your work in carrying that legacy, what it's like. But what was it like as things were changing and, and seeing, you know, seeing the shifts uh, as, as like, I guess, like the tea leaves were showing that this is just going to be a harder, harder road to climb. And, and as much as we want to do this, maybe we may need to shift about how we're going to deliver this love to the children. Mm -hmm. So like you said, it, it, you know, it did end the actual, um, brick and mortar, mm -hmm. the actual, uh, day to day of it. But the thing about it is, is with the shoelay, what it did is that it implanted things in, you know, myself and also the children so that we can branch out so that the brick and mortar doesn't necessarily have to be there. Mm -hmm. There are still shoelay thinking individuals, you know, out there that are still spreading the love and doing the work in other different kinds of ways. And we talked about this earlier about the, my elders and ancestors. It's like I know what to do. You know, I saw what they did, how they uh, built institutions, how they taught self-sufficiency and self-reliance. And so it was just, OK, this is basically what you do. I saw what they did to make things, uh, did kuumba, creativity, make something beautiful than where you once uh, found it. Um, you see these. And so I saw all of those examples and I believed and I felt felt it. And so we just, uh, you know. So you have these branches that are going to carry out the work. So, um, yeah, that's and, 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 and everything is being done uh, that we were basically taught. The children were taught and I see it all over, you know, just from some of the, the students that we had, even from some of the teachers, like where they're even going right now, because they were younger than Mommy Imani, which is us and, mm. and Mama Inamwoe and Mama Malkia and just Marvis Cofield and all of those folks. And so it's basically us, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we're just, we're like them. Like right now, it just feels so funny. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm going to pivot your story. Like... <laughs> I'm going to pivot your story to like our reconnection from I was a shoelace kid. Um, and I've always known, I was, I was there kind of like after, I was there before you were there. But just you connecting through your sister, who's my cousin, Maiwa, Oh, we love Maywa. Mm -hmm. She's coming back on soon too. So uh as and we I brought always, our kids together and yes. and singing it to the shoelay together. Yes. They were there. So yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh <laughs> and and with it, so like I, I would see I'm I'm older kid, so it would just be different. But then one day somebody's like, Hey, we gotta get some flyers out for an event, man. Have you gone to the strip? on in Highland Park of these different stores on Woodward. And I was like, and then I'm like, I'm thinking to myself like strip of Highland Park on Woodward with stores. Like, you mean where Chantonique's is? It's like, I dropped something off over there. Mm -hmm. Miley and Miley and them, yeah. You know, Lens, I got you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, nah, it's another strip. Mm -hmm. I was like, you mean next to the Murray's? And it's like, nah, man. It's like, I'm like, I, I, that's, that's like walking distance from my house. I walk in the shop. And it is like candles, uh, meditations. It's it's music. It's like a feel. It's it's 
it's like spiritual heal. It was hard to even envision. Then I see Mama Shoe. And I'm like, you, I'm like, this your story? He's like, yes. <laughs> He's like, yes, brother. So there, how did this, how did this shop exist? I didn't know. I dropped off some flyers and then I was like, okay, I got to come back. I th- I know I bought something probably with my, from my mom or something like that. Like the shop, how did that come about? So how that came about was, um, my friend who lived in Highland, uh, lived in Highland Park. She stays in, uh. Uh, New Orleans now her name is Sonny mm-hmm. so she had a shop called Stolen Legacy mm-hmm. and I had uh, started to shop me and Mama Talipa called Heaven on Earth Spiritual Products rented a little space in the back of that so which was on the other side of Woodward not on the other side of Woodward that you're talking about it's a brick building that got burned hmm. um, that's that's there now and it's kind of condemned and everything well we had a store in the storefront there so we operated uh, both of the stores we moved across the street and started something called the Black Hole, hole spelt with the W-W-H-O-L-E, which basically was a collective of businesses in the same space so that we can all, you know, prosper together in just one space. And so that's how we got to the other side of, of, of Woodward. So I'm thinking um, that was like 1998 uh, when, uh, when we were opened. stolen legacy and, yes, and opened mm-hmm. as Heaven on Earth Spiritual Products, moved across the street, and it was the Goddess Marketplace. Mm-hmm. And then the Goddess Marketplace was inside of the black hole with other businesses mm-hmm. uh, inside, as well as Stolen Legacy was still in there as well. But we called it the black hole. And you did something that, shout out to Bill Ross with this, you did something that that is tough. Being black and in business and working retail is tough. But you were opening that store. I want to say, like, it wasn't a day that I went into that store and I didn't see Mama Shoe. And I would stop in sometimes erratically on stuff. You was like, yeah, I can sell some of your CDs, brother. We got to work this out. You were like, yeah, we can try this. We can try that. You, I've, I don't think you ever, I don't think I've ever pitched a concept creatively, you, creative to you. And you said, no, it's always, yeah, we just have to, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was amazing because I'm like, she actually keeps the store like all the time. Like the other day, I'm at Verizon. I saw it was a guy with a marker that said, on break, we be back. I'm like, what in the, <laughs> what in the world is going on with that? You were always like, how, what, what was that focus? Was I just happening to just happenstance be there? But it seemed like you put a lot of energy into the retail space. We did, we did. Sonny, I, all of us that was involved. There was another um, uh, uh, sister there too. I don't know if you know her. Her name is Yvette. She's the Motown witch. Mm-hmm. We all had a space in there. We just created a space to keep it. Um, thriving and we all had shifts and mm-hmm. I created a schedule for each so you, uh, uh, somebody would be in there Tuesday and Thursday everybody had their days that's how it was Saturdays I was mostly there Saturdays but you probably did I was there every day after I left school the school job mm-hmm. and so I was there so and then sometimes on lunch break but mm-hmm. mostly definitely when school is over came and worked in the shop and that that's probably why, because it definitely would be later in the yeah. day when I'd be around. Yep. And I'm like, is Mama Shoe always like, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm getting to this, like, in the classic Detroit is different story of, like, you almost are like, life is, I love the Karate Kid, like, Mr. miyagi and you through all these different <laughs> life experiences. I'm, I'm trying to sit up here and remember that, we'll call some stuff, too. That, that basically build and come together that almost give you like the paramount wisdom and experience to do exactly what you're doing now. <laughs> I know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the 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 work in retail in Detroit and this you were doing this at a time in the but like 
This was before, and that's Highland Park too. So like, like it ain't even Detroit. So you're you're doing a retail space in the dead center of Highland. Like almost every headline you heard about Highland Park at that point in time. And I'm not saying it's a bunch of shining headlines now, but it's like libraries closed, no more school department, no more street lights, fires, yeah, fires, no police department, no. It was like you know, water is basically the, the state of Michigan says, yo, the whole city owes us a tax forget your water department like almost every story and you are like nope it's time to have a space on here in highland park a retail space at that because running retail i'm gonna talk right here to the camera just for all you people that want to run retail and i want you to speak on it too of all the businesses you can run and restaurants are hard because you need to work your margins right with restaurants, but you're going to turn over dollars. It's just when I say work your margins right, you you got to you can't say, oh, Little Caesars is selling a pizza for five dollars. So I got to sell a pizza for five dollars. You got to know how much every ingredient cost and put that into the process. Retail is harder because when you have a brick and mortar retail space. And you don't, you not only got to get people in there, you got to get people in there and then open up their wallet and spend some money. Mm-hmm. That, that, that can get, that can get difficult. Because when you sit in there and you open the store at nine o'clock in the morning and you wait till one and you get like two customers that just come around and look, but you got to stay open because that one person at one thirty may come in there and buy $400 worth of something. Mm-hmm. And you got to keep a high energy. You can't be like, oh, here go another person in here just looking. You had that type of energy. So can you share a little bit of your presence of mind just staying in the zone, working that type of retail? What, what, what committed you to that? Because I, I look at all retailers that do it for over really and, and almost like in retail, it's like if you can do it for a month, great. Two months, great. You did it for some years, which is mm-hmm. like shocking. Mm-hmm. How? So I think one of the things was is just whole, the whole concept of collective businesses. And I think that just the different businesses that we had uh, coming in, they offered different things. And I think that it was the products and the services that we also offered. We offered um, uh, products and services that helped to elevate you, to help to elevate you mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Like you say, with candles, incense, oils, black books, um, you know, nutritious food, oils, incense, things like that. Um, and so we actually drew because we were burn incense out in front of the uh, shop. And so that would draw. And so basically we wanted everybody to prosper. So everybody had a piece of it. So just think about it. If um, there's four businesses inside of this one space and um, we're in here, that means that all of those customers are going to come in and then they're going to be exposed to every single thing else in there. So we have a good four or five businesses in there consistently. And so that would also, that was, so basically that was just helping each other. So when they came in that they were exposed to uh, what we had and what this other person had, this uh, business had, and what this other business had. Uh, T-shirts, we had the music in there, we had um, beautiful uh, T-shirts that had artists on the front, all of that. And it was also a space where new artists, folks who wrote books, whatever they were, even uh, short consignment contracts, we had all of that. So it was just a bunch of, just a potpourri, just folks just coming and milling, Mm -hmm. and so it just wouldn't just be for you. So it was just for everybody, and that would just bring customers, and everybody would end up getting a play from it. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
I think that right there is the thing that kind of helps things uh, to go when you doing things together mm. uh, with someone as opposed to just doing it all on your own. Mm -hmm. And, and, and especially if you're beginning in business, it's mm. also a space where if you want to try out something and, you know, this may be your first time of even being an entrepreneur, you know, you can come in there and set up something for 30, 90 days to see, you know, how you like it. So it was a space for that too to introduce folks to uh, running business. And, and that's. And I put my hand up as people are watching because I was one of those people where I co-signed and had my seat. My first album, Preaching to the Choir, was there. Um, and, and a good co-signment deal because sometimes those co-signment deals is tough. You know, you, you'll give 30 CDs and be like, I know I gave you 30 on this day. And then it's like trying to catch up with the person and then you never catch up with the person. But like <laughs> I say, Mama Shoe was always there. It's like, look, brother, you sold three pieces. And it's like, damn. I had seven people saying they're going to go get it today. But, you know, it, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you like to see the inventory, it's right here. It's like, I trust you. <laughs> so, you know, right. I was like, I was betting on that 70. <laughs> I walk away with this 30. <laughs> so, um, so, so this onboarding of like, even in the entrepreneurial space, bringing community together, uh, then you connect to the schools kind of connect community. And now that brings to the next project of Avalon Village. Like I say, it's like all these different experiences, I think, have prepared you in different ways for where you're at now, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to community. Like, I'm still one to still see it on a large scale because you're still balancing many personalities, especially over money and timing, you know. And, and like I say, because Mama Shoe, we knew, you know, if in my mind, if, I, if I'd have known that was the deal of the space, I'd have been like, yeah, I want a space because at the end of the day, I know Mama Shoe going to be there for anybody <laughs> going to be here. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, like, and, and so that's carrying weight for those that may not necessarily carry that weight. Um, now you have created as we spoke the other day, like a city within a city. So some people may onboard you from the Ellen DeGeneres show. Some people may onboard you from the Today show. Some people may onboard you from what, you know, the local papers or local press or other interviews or what they've heard. But this nook and cranny, you've created a, a true village in, in, in one of the spaces, as much as I said, like, like business wasn't happening in the Highland Park. Mm -hmm. Creating like a living oasis <laughs> for for living wasn't happening in Highland Park at that time either. Oh, and and it's strengthening more so now. So the same vision you had and basically look, I can take one of the most, I guess, labeled suppressed areas and turn this into a retail space. Mm -hmm. I think kind of that same intuition you put into the village. So explain the village. How did that come about? Ooh-wee, how did that come about? So when we had the black hole, I was uh, living on Rhode Island Street, and I stayed over there for four years. Mm -hmm. How the village came about, and I was working at the Shoelay, too, so it was just doing both of those uh, things. And so every day I would pass Avalon Street, heading to the freeway, and I would look over and like, wow. Look at that block. It was just jacked up, actually. It was terribly blighted. I mean, mattresses and boats and cars are just visibly jacked up with a lot of uh, uh, houses on there that needed to be demolished, also just blighted. With, also, for people from this neighborhood, you know, when Gretchen Whitmer says, we need to fix the damn roads, that's something our governor says. Okay, the potholes 
<laughs> that existed around Avalon, especially at that time. It, it ain't true. It wasn't your usual pothole. It wasn't no like, oh man, I bust a tire. It was like, yo, you may have to walk away from your whole vehicle, but continue <laughs> as well. <laughs> right. And so I would um I would look down that block and was like, wow, that block, it just it just looked like it was just dead, totally dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I began to think about like, wow, if I had that block, I would just go ahead and build me a village. I'll put this and that there. And I'm thinking about all of what I would put. So it was just a vision. And this so is I like during the drive. This is during the drive every single day, just always looking down mm-hmm. there. And then sometimes I would go down the block, make a U-turn and just, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of times just like here, here's what I would do. And I was living on Rhode Island. Six months after my son Jacoby got killed, mm. he got hit, you know, hit and run driver. Mm. Um, I was riding, it was on Martin Luther King's birthday, and we were going to the shoelace to do some work on Martin Luther King's birthday. It was, you know, day of service. We were going to do something. And uh, the house that I was looking at, that corner house that I'm in now, it uh, became a for sale. And something said, turn down the block. Mm. I turned down the block and I saw the for sale sign in the uh the window and uh i decided to purchase that house and 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 move over there bring my ministry over there and basically fix up the block that's what i wanted to do i wanted to build the village on that block i wanted to build things that basically um our city at the time uh needed uh assistance in you know what i'm saying to help to supplement every everything (laughs) yes and so i'm like okay so i can just you know, compact everything on just this whole one block. This is what I'm thinking. Um, that that was my vision. And then um, the house was, let me see, it was like $5,500. And uh, I purchased it for $3,000, that corner house. And I'm telling you, I raised money for it. I had my mm-hmm. um, income tax check. My girl from Chicago gave me 1500 And then I had a shoelace check. I put all of those together. And uh, when I actually it was so funny because when I was on this uh, phone with the real estate person and I was just, you know, just trying to be, be like, yeah, well, mm-hmm. I don't have 55. I said, I'll offer you 3000 like that. He said, well, OK, we'll take it. I'm like, bet, hung up the phone because I didn't even have the 3000. You know how it is? Like, OK, I'm going to get. So I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get this money before it's time to close. <laughs> so let, me, let me tell let me tell people watching. This is what you do as a visionary. Yes. Sometimes you got to. Hey, it's going to happen. I was like I was wheeling because and if dealing. You limit, if you limit yourself to the. The sky that exists, you gonna set a ceiling. Sometimes yes. you gotta just be like, yes. hey, "Hey." And we pull, I pulled the uh, uh, three thousand to, uh, together, and um, it closed and everything, and then moved over there. It was all boarded up still and wow. everything, but it was still in good condition. Mm-hmm. Pipes and stuff needed, but nothing was like terribly torn okay. out or anything. Hardwood floors and everything. So I st- stayed in there um, while it was boarded up. You know, it just and it's a winter. This, okay, for people that don't understand, Martin Luther King birthday means this is a winter move. A well, win- well, well, I didn't do it right away. Okay, that was okay. it was it's six. Okay. I didn't I didn't close on the house until May. Okay, May okay, of two thousand and eight. Okay, yes, okay, that's okay. when we cl- closed on it. So then, just fixing it, making sure that basic plumbing was working in there and all of that. So worked on it and then moved in there, but still left the uh, windows boarded up until mm-hmm. I just got everything else together inside mm-hmm. the house. Until we got everything inside the house. Uh, you know, in workable order. I remember being in there and in the basement, the basement was all cleared out and I didn't have um, a tub or anything in there, but the water was on and everything. And so we had the um, the water spouts where the where now the uh, a sink is in there, utility sink. 
And I remember taking my shower stuff downstairs and everything and actually using that mm. to uh, take a shower mm -hmm. uh, with my flip flops and stuff, and I went in this mm -hmm. cold basement. So I'm like, okay, what nothing? It was mm -hmm. just still kind of spooky looking or whatever, mm -hmm. a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how what I did until we got everything all uh, together uh, down mm -hmm. in there. Um, and yeah, that was it. Was just a long process of getting it together to where to, to how it looks now. And so that was initially. So the goal was is to go over there and to go and transform that space from blight to beauty and to just create uh, something wonderful for uh, our uh, our people, our community, you know, um, to have a homework house, to be able to have a park. So simultaneously I bought that house and also I created Jacoby Rye Park in the name of my ancestor uh, child at the time. And so that's what was happening at the same time. So working on the house and also making, just creating and cleaning these lots. And so it took about nine, eight, nine years to actually clean the whole block. We took a lot at a time. Every summer, it'd be a goal, you know, some of the students at the, uh, the, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois Academy came. We had some of the kids at Barber. I worked with the brothers at the rescue mission. They came. So we're talking about just every summer, it was always something different because working with the guys at the rescue mission, it was just kind of transit. I would see them sometimes, and then they would be, they may go somewhere else to another shelter or something like that. Mm -hmm. But those men are really the ones that did a lot of the grunt work. I'm talking about over the years because mm -hmm. I supplied jobs for them. They would, they would want to come. So this, they got out a certain time. You know, and then they had to be back in at 10. So some of them, did, they didn't want them to stay there just sitting around. The, so they would come. So I got some benches and um, had lunch and everything, too. And they would come over and work for three hours and give them lunch and everything. And they had a space to actually sit because they couldn't sit over there at the rescue mission. They didn't mm. want them to, you know, be hanging yeah, out loiter. around. Yeah, like mm. that. So I was like, okay, come over here and, and you can help us build a village and stuff and we can do this. And so created um, um, an employment system actually for them and basically paid them by cash, but also gave them lunch too for helping out for the day. So basically mm. created that. And that's how that's how a lot of the, uh, the whole uh, block got cleaned until we started getting more volunteers involved in everything. So then, yeah, that's the beginning stages of it. Okay, and, and, and for people watching this, I, I want them to really catch it as you've given this story many times before, but I just want to put some different pins in a lot of these talks because even when people say, hey, man, you can buy your block and I want to do this and I want to do that, great initiatives. But the work in the in in the practice of it mm -hmm. takes different. I don't want to say the term sacrifice, but you have to understand the grander vision and goal. And uh, you know, I think it was uh, the comedian Patrice O'Neill that said this. I had this in one of my songs. It's like when you're explaining your dream to someone else, it just seems far fetched. They're gonna think you're crazy. You got like a. It, it almost takes a propensity for crazy. Mm -hmm. to do some of this because it's a vision <laughs> where you where you see it like you, you touch it it's like i know what's going to happen right now i have the, the re the leveled out uh field where it needs to be graded and they had to put grassy down and there's no water over there so now i'm trying to figure out okay when i get grassy how am i gonna get water over here and, but I see the vision of what's going to happen when the shipping containers get over there how things are going to happen and that's where knowing a mama shoe helps because it's like okay 
she's done it. So it's a it's a context for what this is. It's never going to work like how the vision is here, but it can happen. Yes. So I want people just to know that like part of the journey is all of this cuz when if you just look at the I guess the razzle dazzle, you're going to miss the other points in the journey where this is a dream that is here. Your mom, your dad, your partner, your kids, your best friend, nobody else is going to see it. You're going to walk through faith and them antennas that are going to higher places to get there. And I want people to connect to that. So that's why I like this story, because like you say, also the time and patience. It took nine years just to clear. But even during those nine years that that it was clearing, it was still projects. It was presentations. It yep. was programs happening. Programs happening all the time in the space that I already had, which was that house. The homework house really started in the living room of that house with a hundred dollar Budco uh, grant that I had gotten from um, Perrin Emanuel and um, <laughs> Jerome Drain, 100 bucks and bought some boot up books and stuff from, I mean, that's just the early, that was like 2000. I found that um, stub too. It was like 2008 or nine wow. that they gave me that check. Mm -hmm. And I got to take a picture of that too. Cause I told him, I said, when I find that in my files, I'm going to um, show, but yes, it was, I was working with the space that, I had, and that's the what I do. I still do what you do in the space that you have to do it in. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to have the brick and mortar. You don't have to have the walls. So I had programs without walls all the time, mostly in the summer, real hard because, of course, I could be outside and um, in the and 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 the vacant lots that were already uh, cleaned up, and I didn't own any of it either. I just basically was the stewardess over the mm -hmm. land, and that's what basically happened until we started to buy in like 2016 when I decided, decided. The village was always a thing, but you know, when it goes up to another level um, and then it just, it, other things start to happen, it just kind of elevates. So you're getting, you know, you've done a lot of the groundwork. Okay, here go the next stage of it, you know. The mm -hmm. next stage happened as far as cleaning up is when, uh, I'm going to tell you when, I was getting ready to, I was getting ready to do some funeral homework. You know, I'm a minister, been ordained for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, I was like, okay, well, you know, I was going to go and help and work at the funeral home, mm -hmm. you know, uh, with, with a friend. You know, I was like, okay, I can just add that uh, to my services and everything. For some reason, that never did happen or click. I don't know what happened. We even took the photos and everything to do it, but it never came to fruition. Mommy Monty died mm -hmm. on her birthday, which was... Um, uh, March the 8th. And I remember sitting in the dining room and, uh, <laughs> and man, it was just, it was on, it was on the day. And I heard this next, I just heard this loud and clear next. And then I heard the voice of how she used to say my name, Shamayim, gone, Shamayim, gone. <laughs> I swear, gone. Like, and, and it's almost like, you know, the hand, like gone like that. And I was like, okay, boom. The thing about it is I'd already had some seed money provided by one uh, 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 organization that supports uh, the village still to this very day. But I just still didn't move on it like, OK, I'm going to build this village. Didn't know how to even, you know, start it as far as like, OK, mm -hmm. formally, let's get down with it, you know. Mm -hmm. And then when she's when I heard that, 
it was just time. And that's when it happened. That's powerful. Yeah, that's exactly when it happened. I was in the in the, in the dining room all by myself, and I'm I'm just like this conversation, like gone, gone now. I'm like okay, and then that's when it was really on. As y'all watching this, I mean, I'm getting inspired. It's like goosebumps are for real. Like I ain't even being because it's in that same space where I'm looking at what I'm doing with a lot of studio. I'm so glad you came by and saw what that was, mm -hmm. and and I'm looking at what's next. And like we said, it definitely it takes a propensity. Like you know, my my theme song this year, and I'm sure my my engineer that you just met, Joe Black, is getting sick of hearing it. It's uh, Gladys Knight's I've Really Got to Use My Imagination. Oh, yeah. You know, to keep on keeping on. You know what I'm saying? And I'm feeling like, it's like, when I was a kid, it's like this with a lot of music. Like, I didn't really feel that song. But now, that's the theme song. Mm. You know, <laughs> and find a good reason, <laughs> you know, to keep on yes. keeping on. Yeah. Because it's like, it... You know, you get the grant. So this is for people because now I'm getting in this space. Because like when you when you're the, the organization without the grant, you're thinking like, damn, they'll never give give grants to real black people. I'm doing real <laughs> black stuff. They always giving it to the 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 you know the sambos or whoever. You know what I'm saying? I'm they don't like me because I'm not in the fraternity or the sorority or whatever. Then it's like, all right, we're gonna put the ball in your hand. Here you go. All of those excuses. Here you go. And now you're like, okay, now I can get active. Then you got to really question, and it's gonna be a gut check yourself. You get the fifteen thousand. Mm -hmm. Let's just say the five thousand. Now you're gonna come at capacity and be like, "Damn, that five thousand really wasn't where we was at." Because now that I got five, you're tapping into your imagination more. Mm -hmm. Now you need ten. You get ten, you need thirty. You get thirty, you need a hundred. You get a hundred, you need five million. And you get five million, you need fifty million mm -hmm. because it's so many more resources. When you give a creative more resources, you're gonna tap further into the imagination. It's never like you're going to turn around and say, we solved every problem we need in this community now, so now I can kind of just fold my arms and say, okay, that's it. People just want to play basketball. Nope. We need tennis. We need a swimming program. We need, we need a dance program. We need a ballet recital hall. We need an amphitheater. We need everything in this community that people will want to connect with. Mm -hmm. Where they come back home over this way and say, damn, I neglected this whole area. Mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't see this vision. Mama Shu has crystallized and basically put 2020 vision on what can be created. And, and I look at your story as much as I love the village and I see what's happening in the village. And I'm like, damn, I can do that in my neighborhood. And I think that that same thing kind of carries out. Because we can empower ourselves. So it, that's where we the can. goosebumps come from. And I want to say I want to say that even the funding, a mm -hmm. lot of people, when they see that you're building and you're doing stuff, so how did you get this? Who gave you a grant doing this? I was like, I started selling fish sandwiches for $5. <laughs> like, that's really like, nobody owned land or anything at first. Mm -hmm. We were just making sure that it looked decent and beautiful because I didn't want to look at blight. I didn't want to look at hopelessness. I wanted to sit on my porch and I didn't want to just take care of the lot right next door. I'm like looking at this uh, blight across the street, this blight right here. And that's what a lot of us do sometimes. We have our own grass looking all nice and neat and we have our own area, but the rest of the block and everything is being jacked up. And, and to me, that's that affects me, too, looking at the rest of it. You want to, and then just think about the children going back and forth, you know, that they're passing that blight. Wouldn't they rather see 
grass that's so beautiful, just like further down Woodward in other communities, you know, flowers, um, eclectic shops, different things like that. And I always tell whenever I do talks and and invited to do um, lectures and stuff, I always say that it, it never begins with the money. It just never begins with the money. It begins with the beautiful thing that you want to do. And if you have passion about it and you're really, really serious about it, then the rest is going to come. It always does. As long as you keep on that, uh, uh, stay focused through all of the uh, challenges, and it is sacrifices, it truly is. You know, stay focused on that thing that you feel that's important, it's, and it's just going to materialize. And then what happens is, is that the more you sacrifice and the more you stay focused, then it, it unfolds more and more uh, for you. So I never know. I don't know exactly how it's going to unfold. It's just it's just kind of an organic thing. And I go by uh, intuition and I go by timing. So if it feels a certain way, then I'm like, okay, then, you know, and I don't tug or force. So the homework house took five years to get finished, you know, um, and just just for an example of, you know, something taking a while. So maybe not funding all the time, but every chunk of funding that I had, every volunteer that helped to get it done, then that's how I actually did it. So that was just more time. But I appreciate the the time that it is actually taken because the foundation is stronger. You know, you learn so many different things. You learn these things that you're going to need for when it just pops off even more and more. You mm -hmm. know, you just growing. So um, I do appreciate uh, uh, that. And it has, uh, and it gives you a chance to, to bond with the communities and be some a space that is there that they can actually rely on for uh, services and children's programming and, um, and everything. So after cleaning it up um, and we did the Kickstarter in 2016 after the decision, um, we started, you know, uh, campaigning and getting out like, hey, building a village, this is what we're going to do. And uh, we went to Kickstarter, mm -hmm. uh, the Kickstarter campaign. And so my team, they wanted to do like $50,000. And I said, $50,000? I said, that ain't even going to get us a roof. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I'm like, we, that's, yeah. I said, we got to go bigger. Mm -hmm. And I read here in Jacoby on, mm. uh, uh, over my shoulder. And he was like, go big, go big. Big, he said it three times, and uh, so we thought of a number. It was a uh, two. It was two forty one nine. Mm. That's what uh, two hundred and forty one thousand nine hundred dollars. That's what the number was. So with Kickstarter, you had to raise that in thirty days, or you would get none. It's not mm. like GoFundMe. You mm. got to make sure that you hit that number that you uh, say that you're gonna hit, yeah. and so. We uh, we hustled and uh, uh, you know we 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 campaigned and everything and then uh, uh, one of the partners his name is Justin we needed a little kick because you know how you just kind of lagging behind or whatever a little bit as far as the campaign and uh, Robin Swartz she's my uh, PR uh, consultant and she uh, did uh, Fox Two for uh, like 17 years mm -hmm. and so she was just starting off in her own business as PR being, a, uh, you know, her own PR business. And they say, hey, we may need your uh, help to help get this along and everything and, you know, and some of your expertise. And then she called Charlie LaDuff. And when she called Charlie LaDuff, he came and he did the first interview of our work that we were doing over there. And after Charlie LaDuff, it was just, it was on and popping after that as far as um, 
us being um, able to uh, share what we were doing, showing people how you can actually transform your own blighted area. These are some of the steps that you can take. And, and so people watched and saw how we did it, you know. And then I started purchasing the land, uh, you mm. know, little by little, um, you know, land bank. And so it was people moving out off the block, as a matter of fact. And some some of the houses were beginning to get tore down. You know, the city had already slated certain houses to be so. It was fortunate that a few came off of um, Avalon Street, and so that just helped to clean it clean it even more and get it, uh, you know, uh, less blight and everything. And so um, after that, it was just a matter of just. Uh, and so and 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 this is what I did too to help my vision. I had one of the civil engineer. Um, volunteers he was a uh, I told him I said take a picture of the whole block from the aerial aerial view of it and then I went to uh office depot and got some yellow stickers and what I did was is that I put um the yellow stickers where all of the blight was and all of the empty vacant lots and I said that and I named what it is I wanted to be in those spaces and so those are like my own uh ghetto blueprints you know <laughs> it just looks so lame right now but it's still cute and i still have it in a folder and actually i'm gonna it. frame it um i was gonna too, say because, that's, that's those, that was my original blueprint and my original plans and that was the way that i could actually uh actually do it so now we've grown to uh 45 properties we own 98% of the block between Woodward and 2nd Avenue. All of the blank spaces are uh, practically ours. We have five structures, and there's six residents that stay, stay on the block uh, right now. Mm -hmm. And so um, we were on the Ellen Show. We had a, a house that was donated. We could have used it for retail, or I could have lived in the house. But I'm like, okay, we build in a village. We need a village hall. So that's our actual village hall, that building that you see. And it's really mm -hmm. different looking from all the structures. And that's what I like about the village, too. It's like it's all kinds of stuff. Okay, we got a shipping container, this building for a store, you know, the Goddess Marketplace, mm -hmm. and it's inside of a um, shipping container. And everything in the village um, is built with um, a green infrastructure in mind and weaning uh, us off of, like, right now, gas. And I'm just saying, you know, things like that mm -hmm. because, first of all, we wanted to build smart and build um, affordable. And, and, and for us, like the homework house, it has a geothermal heating and cooling, so it's not mm -hmm. ran by uh, gas. We have a solar roof, and about three of our structures um, have uh, solar roofs on them right now. We have uh, five solar streetlights with Wi-Fi capabilities that we just got uh, installed with Solidarity. Um, and uh, through a campaign that we... It was called We Lit Avalon. And so it was like, okay, Solidarity, we're going to, you know, we did this mm -hmm. whole thing. And so we were funded half of the money. It was like, we got to yeah. raise 75000 right? And mm -hmm. so we raised half of the money, and it was matched. We would get the match. And so that, then we got another donation in order to put lights in Parker Village. So we were able to spread the light that way in um, Highland Park. And thus far, they've done 17 solar streetlights. But we were the very first relit block in Highland Park when the lights got repossessed in 2011 mm -hmm. yeah. and 10 years later, we relit the whole block. Yeah. So now we're hoping that that right there spreads. And that was the mission of the, of uh, the village too, is to show people what people think. Sometimes things are just so impossible. Oh my God, I'd just rather move. Um, this is too much work and everything. But if you get over there and just, just like, just like an elephant, 
you just take a little bit at a time, a little chunk at a time. That's how I look at uh, building the village. Like, okay, this little bit here, this little bit here, until it all gets done, and I'm in no rush. That's that's powerful. Uh, like I say, it's it's you're giving so much game, or that's how I interpret it in my hip hop yeah. vernacular. But you're providing knowledge and insight, I guess, the more formal perspective. <laughs> but you're giving game right now of, giving game. of how to how to deliver it and, and how to build something. And, and and a key element is you got a team of people to pull things like this together. And then when you're, you know, as they say, you know, heavy is the head, which where the crown lies. How do you keep your how do you keep the synergy of the team? Because different people have different talents, different people have different inspirations of being even a part of community projects. I remember I was I was getting off the phone with uh with one of my partners that cuz you know, I'm I'm like you. I'm like somewhere in the business space and I'm in this community space. So it's like I'm I'm in both and the creative space. I'm mm-hmm. I'm multifaceted. But uh in being multifaceted, I was like, look man, being being a brother connected to the community, especially being black, like it's a different perspective. It, and, and this is one of my white homeboys. And he was like, nah, man, if a person's supposed to deliver a, on a job and these are the tasks, man, they're supposed to deliver. And if you don't, you got to cut the cut the paycheck. I was like, nah, man, that's just not how it works with our people. When it works with our people, just due to the scarcity of the resource of money or whatever that asset is. If I, if I know that oftentimes when I reach out to some of the people and I say, look, I would like to hire you for you know, for instance, like the music director, we negotiating and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to bring you on board for what we do with a lot of studio. It'll be this many performances plus a couple others. I know at that capacity, him being a father and everything else, I'm thinking he's accounting for that money for real. Not like no uh, invoice me and in 30 days I can pay you and nothing like, no, he's, he's talking to his wife like, I just got a job. We can cover lights. We can cover car insurance. Mm-hmm. I can I can help pay for the braces our daughter needs. <laughs> like I know that being black. And then he's like, "Well, if they don't finish up and deliver on the job, I'm like, but see, that's the that's the stretch being black and connected to community where I have to have a more holistic view." Now, do I encourage and do I push and do I accept anything? Am I just like I guess throwing away resources and not getting what's done? No. But I am very mindful of engaging my people. It's a different, it's a different amount of love I gotta give. And really, that's what I kind of learned. And I, I'm more honored looking at Baba Maliki Kini, uh, yourself, and so many others because it takes a different patience. Like when Baba Malik said, like, yeah, man, when you work with our people, it's a different type of uh, you have to be. You have to have a different elasticity and flexibility and understanding where our talents are and where our skills are because we want to flourish, but the noise of being a black in America can kind of disconnect us sometimes. And it makes sense. It makes sense because it can diswire any of us. How do you keep your team together? How do you onboard so many of these different resources and all these different people and, and, and doing different things, keep them focused, keep them centered, and then still fill their cup up with love? Uh, one of the things that um, that helps is is that you recognize uh, what a person is actually good at and what makes them happy and what they're doing. And that's how I uh, choose people or, you know, make a make a selection or consider, I would say someone like, OK, then 
they like to do that for certain things. That's what I do. I like to fit them where they feel good at. And therefore, I know that you'll get the best productivity. They'll get the best experience um, with it, whatever it is that they're doing. I also like to um, encourage new businesses and um, brothers and sisters who may not, it might be their first time doing a thing. Well, hey, you can come on over here or whatever and try to do your thing, what it is that you're trying to do. Because that's actually the space of the village. All that land, I, I call the shoe children up like, hey, y'all. I got all this land over here. Let's build something. What is it that you want to build? Let's do it. You know, that's how open the space is. So it's not it's not my space at all. It's just like, okay, I'm just, you know, basically facilitating it so that the rest of the community can grow and develop off of that. And so to me, and then and then you getting that that you're getting the best energy from them because they're happy and enthused. So sometimes all of that other stuff may not happen to where, okay, you know, dealing with um, just some of the basic stuff like uh, attendance problems or, you know, just issues and everything because they're enjoying exactly what it is that they want to uh, uh, be doing, you know. And so th that's why I say for me things organically unfold because there's a, a certain trust that I would like to have as well because I'm really, uh, uh, I'm guarded as it relates to building the village and not really guarded, I'll say protective of uh, the village. And now it's growing so that, you know, you know, the world basically has it now, but it's time though. It's like, okay, I got to go ahead and, you know, so that part right there been <laughs> something else. You're like, okay, you got to really just trust certain, um, you just got to trust certain energies, read it the best way that you can. Hopefully you choose people that are in alignment with um, the goals that you have for the community. And then that's it. And only the serious ones. And then one thing about me, I don't really, I don't want anybody uh, that is not productive because it's so serious, you know, so I don't want to waste your time and I don't want you to waste my time either. Seriously. You know, I know that we have to do this. This is like a mandate mission to help revitalize this so that other neighborhoods can see a way to be able to thrive too. So, uh, I'm real serious about uh, just just to who's around me and who works with me. And so we like I said, we have like Mama Boniswa is on board. Mama Nozibele, Mama Hasina. It's certain people still that you still have back there old school, you know, that can just Mama Taliba, Mama Maya when them, all of them, you know, they just still they they're in the background just on and in and, and active, too. But, okay, I know I got them. And then you have to expand. And so it's the young brothers and sisters like, okay, y'all, this is going to be a let's, let's go. Let's train you. Let's show you. Here's what we need to do so that you can go ahead and uh, continue the work. That's that's so powerful. And that, and you just naturally kind of led into something, like I said, um, for oh, for 10-plus years, even longer. Like every time I've run an idea by you, you've never and it's almost like a like a grandmother spirit or something. <laughs> You've never said no. It's always yes, brother. So we gotta, you know, and almost like by leading with yes, it disarms because I think part of this is we're so used to being told no. Almost sometimes accepted in like thinking someone's going to say no before, like uh, 
you know, like I often tell guys, like I used to like, even though COVID and everything, I used to like just the art of sometimes just, you know, sparking up a conversation. Mm -hmm. I, I would see, uh, rest in peace, Kool-Aid and my friend Mayo, like before when I'd be more nervous to approach a woman and stuff, but Kool-Aid used to, I'm like, how did you do that? <laughs> and it, it'd just be like, man, it helps me as a comedian. I'm just mm -hmm. starting up conversations and then you get more natural with it. But I, I would tell guys and then guys would see me and they're like, how did you do that? I'm like, well, part of it is you're rejecting yourself before you even, mm -hmm. you know, you, you lead in with it. And God, you've probably heard this from men before. You probably don't talk to guys like me, whatever. You know, it could be I live with my mama. I don't got a car. I don't got a good job. Whatever you say, you, you've led and you've accepted and gave life to I probably don't. And mm -hmm. now it's in her mind like, yeah, I probably don't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But you've always said yes. You've always, it's like, I'm thinking I want to, yes. I just pitched something new that me, you, Seth, and Quasi are thinking. You're like, yes. But, you know, we, then we built the structure and the framework. I think that that's such a healthy way of bringing our people on board. But also, I guess, in my mind, putting them in spaces where they where they can create most, it that's powerful. That That's powerful. And, and 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 then being a steward of that, I guess that fills up your cup with so much more love because though they're connecting with their own love, they see you as a platform and gateway to get there. Mm -hmm. that's and that's what um, that's what mothers of humanity do. You know, if uh, someone comes and you can help or you can show the way. I don't know what your wonderful, magnificent mind is thinking of. I'm not going to reject it or period. Like, okay, what you talking about? You know, for real, <laughs> I won't in. Like, <laughs> like, for like, real, yeah. you just do, you know, it's and like, just bounce it yeah. off and okay, you can, you know, shave this part off and shave this part off and maybe, you know, and whatever help that you need that I can do to help further that because that's really what it's about. Mm. It's really that's what the fun of it is for me. Mm. It really is. It's like, OK, we got a new blog. Want to come and come do this and that. OK, let's have it. Let's do it. That's exciting to me, because one thing about it is, is that you're getting that fresh, brand new, creative energy mm. that, you know, that, you know, when you do something, you start doing something. It's like, woo, that fire is high. You getting that top notch energy. Of doing it. That's what I want. Mm. I want your finest. And so it's that brand new crisp idea of, you know, what it is that you want to create and stuff. And so I'm geeked, you geeked, boom, let's do it. Now, you may not stay or this may, but at least, you know, you're getting um, your, um, that, your exercise on it. You're getting mm -hmm. your experience. You're getting um, some practice. And then also that spirit, it was there at the village at High Clip. Yes. And then yes. When, when it's not, when they see that it's tougher or it can't connect, they'll walk away. But then the next spirit will come up and be like, oh, you got this whole uh, space ready for a recording studio? Yeah, it was a brother and sister that were thinking about doing something. You got some ideas, brother or sister? Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah! And it's like, and it's kicking in. Mm -hmm. Like, that's so interesting of a way of looking at it. Because I guess that's the only way you really get to something new. Yeah. And we're so preconditioned to look at you know, what's that, the old school, that's my car, keeping with the Jones. We're so preconditioned to look at what already exists and do things. And you know how I'm always coming up with ideas. Mm -hmm. You too. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess that's that propensity of using imagination yes. that connects us to other people's imagination going, now it's like this, this. But you don't end up with geothermal heating in a, in a <laughs> container space if you were thinking 
well, no, it's already going to be this structure. And I read about someplace in Seattle that the best way to heat a, a container space is to do this because that's what has been done. You don't end up with that unless you're willing to be like, you got an idea for that? Yes, <laughs> and, it's and, and that's long-term uh, uh, sustainability. That's something that is, it costs a little bit to start off with, but guess what? We're talking about affordable stuff. We're talking yeah. about a neighborhood that's blighted. I'm talking about using whatever it is that we have right now. So, uh, yeah, so using just, like, systems like that, and even, like I said, the civil engineers, hey, we can get this, and I was like, okay, call them up, because that's because it was it made sense to me. If it makes sense, you know, and dollars is good, that's good. you know? And so that made sense to, for us to be able to utilize um, shipping containers to have business in. There's no overhead. Mm. You own the lot. You pay maybe $300 uh, a year in taxes on a vacant lot. Mm -hmm. And the, the shipping container is movable and it's not on the grid. Mm. And there it is. That's big. You, yeah, you, you like, you know. So basically, I do uh, uh, workshops called Thinking Inside the Box for businesses and also backyard businesses. I'm with So you. those are those are just some workshops to show people that you can do it another way. And especially now when people are not like on their jobs anymore, folks are like really tapping into their creative, like, hey, we can do this this way because they've made to have to do things another, you know, a different way. That's a way to consider, you know, and, uh, you know, folks don't have a lot of money to rent space for $2,000 for a storefront, nothing like that, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can plush out what you got. So, you know, the shipping container just, it looks amazing, actually. I, I, <laughs> we I, got solar does. in there and everything like it. And it, it just, it's so, it's so beautiful. Set out the bistro chairs, open it up, and it's just retail space, you know. And um, the marketplace is uh, every Saturday in May, the day before Mother's Day, we open it up to 13 women vendors. And they can just call us if they want to be a part of them, get ready to get the information circulating now. But uh, that's a weekend uh, goddess-centered market for women entrepreneurs. So any um, uh, women who want business space is from 12 to 8. And there's um, traffic because people come to the village, especially in the summertime. That's that's powerful. So as as we get closer to a close, it's a couple special questions on this other project that I want to ask. Just kind of talking about like how people function in in in, in prosper in spaces that are labeled under resourced, impoverished, uh, forgotten about, blighted. You know, uh, I mean, can you your your get up, get out, and get something of this? What ways were you inspired to find opportunity? in these spaces and places where people say opportunity doesn't exist? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that uh, maybe uh, it's, it's, it's perception. Some people feel that they have to, when they get out and get something and all of that, it has to be somewhere else. And I just wanted to create it around me. So basically, um, I'm on the block. For me, when I turn right or left on Woodward, I'm going out into the world because what it is that I have is right there on that block, and that's what we're building it for, so that you can have all of these wonderful things there. So in my mind, too, really, I'm creating stuff that I would like to have, like, okay, I want a tea shop. Okay, well, we need this right here. We got to have a garden. This is so really to make sure that we're that I'm comfortable as a citizen and as a, as a woman and as a person, but also I know that other people will enjoy this uh, as well. So 
the blight was cleaning up for other people. It was for me, too. I want to live comfortable. I want to live healthy. I want to not be across the street from blight that has rat nests and all of that, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's 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 basically. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. Last question in reference to that segment coming from where I'm from. Share a personal testimony when you were prejudged and showed and proved that not only you were better, but you excel at a higher clip than what that judgment was. <laughs> well, you know what? I would have to say, really, it's been uh, the village. Just building the village before, you know, like you said, people think that you're crazy or whatever. I thought that my some of my own family was like, what? I was like, you know what? We're going to clean up this whole block and I'm going to build a village. And this, I would just talk about it. I would talk about it to my friends. And sometimes they didn't think that uh, some people, some of my mm -hmm. friends, the ones that's, you know, still around, they knew, you know, but they just thought that you were crazy. And so it was that. And so. So there, so there it is. <laughs> I'm with it. There it is. I'm, I'm with it. I mean, for real, it was it was just a weird thing. Even building with solar and and building with the green infrastructure, and we can we can build a basketball court on the block in which we have a basketball court called My Three Sons that honor my ancestors' sons right there on the on the block. Those things, and it was like you can't. But the thing about it is, is that they hadn't done it yet. That's all you know, no experience in it and didn't really reach out to really try it or do it. So I like this, this position because it just shows that you really can and it doesn't have anything to do with the amount of money or anything that you have. It's just the will. And you know the serious ones. You know, you know the serious ones. And it is a lot of people that want to talk and they want to know, uh, you know, how did you do this or how did you do that and this and that in a real practical way. But this is basically, this is a feeling. It's a movement, you know. Wow. It's a movement into uh, redeveloping neighborhoods. So it's a wave that is going to uh, be infectious and spread. And so, um, uh, yeah. So uh, how you like me now? No, I'm just kidding. I'm with it. I'm with it. S speaking the, the knowledge of the good brother... Big Daddy Kane. Well, not Big Daddy Kane. That's Kumo D. I'm tripping like ever. Kumo D would be. He, if Kumo D said I found out I mixed it, up And it's fun. Them. And it's fun, too. And I do want to say one accomplishment that we had in September uh, was the street of Avalon is now Avalon Village. We got it Win. changed uh, through a resolution through city council, and they voted on it. And so we're waiting on the sign now. So Win. it'll be Avalon Village and Woodward Avenue, and then further down where the, the corner, it'll mm. be 2nd and Avalon Village. I'm with it. And that was low-hanging fruit or whatever for I'm like, we got to get that uh, get that done. So basically... It's uh, it's just all coming together, it's like, and it's just a, a lot of fun on too. On Avalon Village, for real. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Look, Google it. Exactly. Google it. It's, like, it's Avalon Village. <laughs> so that's powerful, Mama Shoe. Yeah. Share with the people how to connect with you. You got so many things. It's a calendar of events. I know, yeah. But how, how should people connect with you? When should people connect with you? You mentioned the Mother's Day uh, Bazaar, but okay. what should happen? So, so right now, um, first of all, you can reach us at uh, theavalonvillage.org. That's our website. We're on uh, Instagram and also Facebook. Um, and um, if 
you are uh, interested, we had two town hall meetings, well, village hall meetings. We had one on the 26th of March, and then we have uh, one on uh, April the 6th, which is from 6 to 8 p.m. It's at 40 Avalon Street in Avalon Village inside the Homework House. And the village hall uh, is a space where we are talking about the village past, present, and where we're going. We have future plans that was was done by U of D, um, U of D Mercy, uh, School their, of Architecture. Their, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, their design uh, uh, their center. Design program. Yes, yeah. and so they d uh, uh, delivered uh, beautiful renderings of how the village will look in the future and basically the things that were going on. So you'll be able to uh, be caught up. May the Mother's Day, day before Mother's Day, I think it's May the 7th, May the 7th or the 8th, we have the Goddess Marketplace. Any um, women entrepreneurs out there that would like to rent a space every Saturday uh, from May until October. Mm. Um, come through. We're looking for 13 women vendors, whether it's food, products, uh, bath and body, clothing, whatever it is, let us cluster together. It, it may be and some let pizza that's... over there possibly. Yes, yes, sure will be. <laughs> and then we can all pop together. So if a cluster uh. of uh, enough cluster of us, it'll be a space where people want to come and enjoy um Women businesses and similar take part to in the black business. hole concept yes. that you've already perfected. Yes, yes, and so it's just we just spreading it, mm -hmm. um, spreading it out, and so those are some of the things that's coming up. And then on four eleven, we have a bonfire. It's called the four eleven bonfire. It's in honor of Chinyelu, my ancestor's son, mm -hmm. um, that was killed one year ago, mm -hmm. and so now we're celebrating his birthday. Uh, uh would have been his twenty fifth, and so we're doing a bonfire and. Um, having a lot of his peers uh, come to. So, and it's also, I'm gonna tell you about, uh, and, and then we can, uh, I guess, be done. So, one thing about the ch uh, uh, children and youth, and especially like Chin's age, that was like 22 and 23 and 24, you know, he had these brothers and they are like heartbroken, yeah. but they want to do something good for the community. And we have to show them how to do those things. Like they do things like in their way, but just like even the bleachers, we had a um, uh, we need bleachers for uh, the um, the my three sons basketball court. So we did a fundraiser. So Chen used to always say my fake um, uh, no faking. So we call it the no faking fundraiser, and it's on the day that he became an ancestor, which is one twenty six. Mm -hmm. So basically, now that is their project every year to raise money for a community project. So if we're raising money for uniforms, if we're doing this for the music program, those brothers and sisters, I said, y'all can handle that. They do that. They recruit for that. They make the money, and that's what, so it's basically their contribution to it. No matter what they do, how they act, whatever it is, you know, I said, you have to have um, social responsibility, and you have to serve the community. So you're going to pay $50 to get into this, mm -hmm. uh, because guess what? When you're driving by, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, we help put them bleachers in, mm -hmm. you know. So we help them in any kind of way, whether it's printing up a flyer or something, but helping them to guide them to do those kind of things. But you do them in their kind of way, too. Yeah. That's the thing. When you then you're just gonna get. So I don't. I already know how these these. I call them them boys. Boy, when I already know mm -hmm. how they act or whatever and how they mm -hmm. are and everything. But guess what? They want to do that, and so people can see them doing those wonderful things. You know, mm -hmm. we do Father's Day. We see those young brothers bring their children right there. We all have a good time. I pass out shea butter and give them crystals mm -hmm. and incense and things like that and all the little spiritual items and everything to those uh, young brothers. So I know I see something totally different from, 
you know, a lot of what uh, society tries to say that these young brothers uh, uh, do. So I just got a real soft spot for, you know, them, you know, just to, to, and then they have a healing space as well. So anyway, we have all of that going on. We have our calendar, um, our whole uh, 2022 calendar uh, on um, the uh, website. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. It's it. You you gave more to me. You filled up my cup. We're going to be doing some things together okay. soon. Uh, you're going to see more of Avalon Village connected to Detroit is different. And as you all see, a lot of this still incepted through. Shout out Mommy Imani Humphrey. Mm-hmm. I'm a shoelake kid, as people should know. So as you said, it just keeps pouring out. The love keeps going. Uh, and like I said, even when you said working with them boys, as you say, it's the it's the mama shoe ethic of like she never will say no to you. She's gonna say yes, but now you know it's like you better have your creativity ready, please, because she's gonna basically give you the array of you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, it's basically like she's gonna be your speed. She's the person that will play space with the person like I don't know how to play. <laughs> right. <laughs> so <laughs> don't be cutting. <laughs> don't. <laughs> Thank you so much. I've enjoyed myself. Thank you. All right. Peace. Peace. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.